Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, founder of Megan Hall Motivation. I motivate and inspire women to create their own version of a thriving life. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories and chat about topics relevant to today's modern women. Don't forget to join our virtual community on Facebook, the Inspire Women Community. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Hi, I'm Megan Hall, founder of Megan Hall Motivation, and I am here with Jean South. Jean is one of the ladies that applied to be on the podcast. We do have an application on the website. I want to be featured. Click it, fill it out if you want to be featured. And when I read her bio that she shared, I was like, um, yes, can she please be on my podcast? Thanks. She's like a total badass. Um, so Jean is a Marine spouse the daughter of two army veterans and a former FBI special agent. You see where the badass came in. I was like, mm, what's this? I need to hear more about this. I don't meet FBI people on a normal basis. Military, yes. FBI, no. As an FBI agent, she focused on Russian organized crime. She transitioned out of the government service in 2014 and joined the McChrystal Group. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I was like, there's a couple extra letters in there. Let me make sure. Uh, Founded by General Stan McChrystal, where she was a consultant and recruiter. She founded Hire Served in 2016. In her spare time, and she put that in quotation marks because, you know, as busy entrepreneurs and, you know, everything like that, I understand that, that spare time in quotation marks. She is a board member with the Semper Fido. Uh, a nonprofit which pairs veterans with PTSD and TBI with service dogs. What is TBI? I've heard of PTSD, but not TBI. Traumatic brain injury. Okay. So um, think about a Humvee that hits a mine or something and gets everybody gets shaken. Or it's kind of like, I call it adult baby shaken baby syndrome. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like that may not be the no, technical no, way to describe it, but it makes to sense to mothers. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. A, I'm a mother. But no, that makes a lot of sense, though. You got to think about it because we don't think about that as adults. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. And a volunteer with the Weekly Fight, an organization dedicated to bringing attention to the high rate of suicides in the veteran community. I I just love this. This is why you see everybody listening should know like this is why I wanted you on this podcast because, you know, uh, my husband's in the Navy. So military service is really near and dear to my heart yeah. as well. And uh, I just, I needed to hear more about you and like, how did you end up being an FBI agent? Like, <laughs> like, how does that happen? You know, you hear, you see it like in the movies and every, you know, little kid and you're like, I'm going to be an FBI agent when I grow up, but you, not a lot of people grow up to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, funny story. I'm super competitive. Um, I know that's going to like shock everyone, um, after hearing my bio. Um, and so I was 16 I always had um, been kind of fascinated with law enforcement and I had a very strong sense of justice. Like I was the kid who like I, I, I felt like if you cheated on a test, like you shouldn't like I would write the wrong answers if some people were cheating off of me. So they would get the wrong answers because like it was wrong. Right. It was yeah. this justice. Um, so I was dating a guy when I was 16 who was in a police academy and one of his instructors was like, listen, you should really consider, consider going federal. You're really smart. You've got a really good analytical mind. You really need to think about federal law enforcement, not, not staying at the local level. Um, which isn't to say that our local cops are not crazy intelligent because I have a ton of friends that, that are local cops, but like, um, it does, um, require kind of a different approach to law enforcement at the federal level. 
And so as soon as I heard that, I had this massive jealousy and competitiveness thing. And I was like, I could do that. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was hanging out down there. <laughs> um, and so I really didn't tell anybody. I kept that to myself and got a degree in psychology and then an MBA in finance. Um, my undergrad in psych, I had to do a thesis. And my thesis was on psychological profiling of serial killers and whether it's a valid means to capture and convict them. So some people, namely my thesis professor, knew I had some kind of interest here, um, but I didn't say a lot. And then um, I was working in a bank, and one day I woke up, and um, my first husband had told me no wife of his was going to carry a gun. Um, first husband for a reason. And <laughs> I kind of looked at him, and I'm like, super sorry. I have to try. If I don't try, I'll never know. Put in an application. Um you know, series of events took place. And next thing I knew, I was uh, one of the younger people in my academy class walking into Quantico. That's amazing. That is super amazing. I mean, yeah. that's like badass. That's what I that's what comes to mind for me is badass. Um, it was awesome. So what got you into the Russian organized crime aspect of it? Like, did you choose yeah. that? Or were you, you know, divvied that? Or what happened? Yeah, so the, the military and the FBI work a lot alike. Um, essentially, they say, hey, you're a special agent. We need one of those over there. And they put you over there. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like, hey, you're a warm body and you're breathing. So we're going to need somebody on that squad. Um, I had spent a year in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where straight out of working, no kidding, on like I worked on Palm Beach in a bank on Palm Beach they put me in charge of a gang task force. Wow. Hysterical. I was like, you guys know that I've never like met a gang member, right? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. You'll figure it out. Um, and so I spent a year out in Albuquerque working gangs. Um, I did figure it out. Um, what I learned out there was humility was my best friend. And so I approached um, running that task force, actually kind of how I approach um, running my business, which is I um, showed up with all the resources and found the experts and then just told them, listen, like you can be the expert and I'll just keep you full of resources if you want to be on my task force. And they were like, sure, you have cars and money and phones. Yeah. So, um, sort of kind of how I do the business now, but anyway, I left, um, left Albuquerque when I got married to my husband, um, so that we could live kind of in the same place. And so he is out in Philly. And so I moved here to the Philly area. And, um, again, it was just kind of like, well, you've worked some criminal things. How about you be on the Russian squad? And I was like, uh, okay. I mean, sure. I knew nothing. I had no idea. Um, I had no idea what I was in for, and I had a blast. Russians are, um, and when we when I say Russians, like I always feel the need to explain, it's actually from the former USSR. So like those of us who grew up in the USSR era kind of recognize that whole part of the world. Um, but it's technically any organized crime that is out of that part of the countries and world. So Ukraine also, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I um, was told they were an, a formidable foe and they are. They're incredibly intelligent, um, incredibly um, 
like us and different from us simultaneously. So it's this fun, like it's, it's a chess game. It's not like when you're chasing a bank robber, like bank robbers are ridiculously easy to catch. It's not even hard. Um, if a bank robber gets away for more than like two days, everyone is shocked and they are like a high caliber, intelligent one. Um, Russians, not a thing. Russian cases can take years and years and years and they're very intricate. They're amazing. My, my husband's um, on submarines, and so I have heard some interesting, uh, as much as I can hear, because he can only right. tell me so much, and then he'll be like, stop in the middle of a story, and I'm like, where's the rest? And he's like, yeah, that's classified. And I'm like, thanks, bud. I really want to share yeah. the rest of the story. But he's talked about how intelligent they are as well, because they have submarines, too. So <laughs> uh, they like, And they like to play games. Yeah. Um, they like to play mind games. Um, it's a really interesting culture and, and became very fascinating. I actually um, had the opportunity to learn to speak. So they sent me to Russian language school. Um, it ended up being a, a total of a year over the course of three years um, that I went. And I... Um, it's a fascinating culture to study um, and it's a fascinating group of people to try to get to know and interact with. But they do this thing where they one up, like the one upmanship is very strong. Oh, yeah. So they'll actually, and I refuse to watch news because my husband was deployed. I stopped watching news mm-hmm. and I, I like have no need for it. It creates like massive anxiety. I just don't bother. So they actually one up me with American news. So they'll be like, oh, did you hear that blah, 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 blah? What's your take? I think. Blah. And I'm like, I don't actually watch the news. So they, it's their favorite thing to totally one up me on American culture. And I'm like, sorry, I'm out. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. I don't watch the news either because I just feel like it's not it's so jaded to one side or the other. Like you can't get like an honest, you know, this is exactly what happened. These are the facts. And right. It, and, I, and it just raises my anxiety. Like I already have high high level anxiety as it stands. I don't need I don't need help. And I just have decided that that is a thing that I don't need in my life. I asked my husband for Reader's Digest versions of news. I'm like, can you tell me what's going on in the world? I need to be aware of. I just use Facebook, <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely the best place to get your yeah. news from. So no, what I do is when it pops up in my newsfeed, then I'll go and like actually like look for I the do facts. That. Um, I do not because I don't trust the people who are sharing it. But I'm like, if it's if it's showing up in my newsfeed, it's probably a big deal because everybody's saying about it. So then I'll look for it. But yeah, I can't stand the news either. It's just it's just too jaded. And in a lot of the times, I'm just like, you know, that didn't happen like that. Right, right, right. It didn't go down the way you think it yeah. went down. Let's all be honest. Yeah, but no, I, I anyway. I love <laughs> how you went and experienced a different culture. Because I'm very passionate about showing different um, different cultures, different experiences. Because I feel like a lot of times we stay in our little bubble. And, yeah. and we don't realize that real stuff happens outside our bubble. And a lot of times our beliefs and perceptions, like, you know, twist it so that we... You know, we think we hear Russian and we're like, oh, my God, they're the horrible people. They're terrorists. And I'm just like, I haven't ever met somebody who's from Russia that is actually like that. So, I mean, I have. Yes. Well, with what you were doing, you would have. I think the interesting part is actually being very conscientious to not become um, a person who puts other people in a box based on those things. Mm-hmm. Because um, one of the challenges in law enforcement that I, I think people don't recognize um, and, and especially we're seeing it right now with everything going on in the world right now is you are exposed to the worst of the worst every single day. So I was exposed to the worst Russian immigrants. 
I, I know a few who are actually really great people, but I, I didn't get to hang out with them because they serve no purpose for our work. <laughs> I hung out with the worst ones. Um, when you work gangs, you hang out with the worst of that community and of that part of town and of that ethnic group and of that society. Um, and so it's actually uh, something that I think you have to be really self-aware about, especially in law enforcement, about ensuring that you don't become jaded against an entire people group. And, you know, people get worked up about, um, you know, we, there's a lot going on and I don't necessarily think it's, you know, the right form to go completely into that. Um, but I do think we all have to sit and look around and say, you know, I, I will become affected by what I'm exposed to the most. Yeah. So if I'm exposed the most to the negative side of this culture. For example, Philadelphia is a lovely city. I don't like to go there because I've been to some really horrible parts of Philadelphia. And in my mind, Philadelphia is just this dirty, stinky, icky place. And I mean, it's it's not. It's a perfectly fine city, but I've been in all the worst parts of Philadelphia. And so it's a city I don't love. Um, whereas there are towns I grew up in that are just as bad at, or could be have bad areas, but I've only been at the happy parts. So they're, they're good cities for me. So we just have to think about how what we surround ourselves with affects how we view the world and then figure out a way to balance that when you know, especially like in law enforcement where you're in a crappy place on a regular basis because you have to be. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard because I feel like, again, the news like twists the stuff so that we see this and they're like, Oh, down with the police. How dare they do this? And I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, you do realize there's more to the story that we aren't seeing. And it's being like, wow jaded and there's good um, we've said this on the podcast before there's good and bad people in all cultures in the military in the police in the in religion like in church like they're all over like it doesn't matter where you are there's going to be good and bad people everywhere but it's you know the news like seems to like highlight that bad so you don't actually see all the good that's going on behind the scenes yeah it's true and and unfortunately um, we also don't see every time that that officer has been in that same similar situation that looked the exact same way. Um, so, you know, I have a, one of my good friends in the bureau, um, ended up in a shoot and he had to, he had to take someone's life. Mm -hmm. Um, they were in the middle of a drug buy in the middle of the night. Um, and the guy kept reaching for his pants and wouldn't put his hands up. He kept reaching, he kept reaching, he kept reaching. And the problem is, um, if someone is non-compliant and reaching for their pants instead of listening to what you're saying, which is to keep your hands where I can see them so that we all know we're safe, you you have to assume that they're going for a gun. Like yeah. it, if you don't assume they're going for a gun and you wait to see what they're pulling out of their pants to figure out what is that in his hands, it's too late. There's not time for that. Um, and so, you know, in that instance, he actually shot a guy who had a cell phone. Oh. And. You know, I mean, unfortunately, the guy died and it was a good shoot because he kept reaching for his pants and grabbing, you know, and, and in the middle of the night in the dark, you can't know. Yeah. And so that's what we don't know, right, is we don't know how many times that officer prayed that the guy would literally just put his hands up because quite honestly, nobody wants to be in a situation to make that decision. Nobody wants to because the the deadly force policy is. You don't get to shoot someone until you think that they're going to shoot you or someone else. So, like, you're now oh, in fear for your life, right? Yeah. So you're not – like, nobody's thinking through that. We're not thinking through the fact that if and, – and it's interesting because, you know, you meet civilians who are like, oh, my God, you're in the FBI. Did you ever shoot anyone? And I'm like, you realize you're asking me an extremely personal question, which yeah. is, 
did you ever fear your life was about to end? Is actually the question you're asking. Because I don't get to shoot someone unless I fear my life is going to end, right? Um, And so, yeah, it's a really personal hard thing and no cop wants to do it. Like nobody's dying to shoot someone. I promise there's not a cop in America who's like, ooh, baby, let me go shoot somebody today. That'll be a thing. I'm glad you said that because I was actually going to ask you that because I've never – no, yeah. it's just because my ignorance, I've never known anybody. So you don't yeah. you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't have these kind of conversations where people yep. can hear, they won't know that sort of thing. Like I get obnoxious questions about me being a teen mom or having twins. You would not even imagine I walk into the store with Lord. my twins. People want to know, are they natural? I'm like, what kind of question is that? Like, what Who's does that mean? Who's asking that? Who's like, asking that? Oh, they ask it all the time because they think it's their right because they see twins. But then again, they're kind of ignorant to the fact of what that might mean because somebody might have struggled with infertility for years to get right. those, that set of babies. and But they're just so ignorant to the fact of that they have no idea what that's saying. So it's kind of like the same thing as people ask that question because yeah. they have no idea. They're just like, they like. You just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's frequent. And I guess that's the thing that I would love people to take away is like law enforcement. It's not, it is not something that we handle lightly. I mean, we drill and drill and drill and practice and practice and practice. And you think of every way you possibly can handle a situation that doesn't put you in a place where you're making a decision about life and death because life and death decisions, um, they're just, hard to make and they're they're crappy to make nobody wants to make them like if you and and people when I first signed up for the bureau I actually had a lot of people say I don't know how you can do this because I couldn't take someone else's life if I had to um and so you know it's something that we ask of our law enforcement that we really don't recognize is most of us would not be willing to take another human being's life and that's okay like that's good we (laughs) that's positive right yeah um but to understand that um, we spend a significant amount of time at the FBI Academy, at police academies, um, grappling with um, that question of, can you, if you have to, kill another human being? Yeah. Can you do that? And you have to you have to be able to do it, and you have to know you can do it, because it is something that may keep you or your partner alive one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but people, you know, nobody really recognizes the depth of that conversation internally and externally yeah it's got to be like an ongoing process like oh absolutely so it's me or it's them kind of thing like right if they pull out a gun I'm probably gonna die or you know I have to choose that you know it looks like they're pulling out a gun I gotta I gotta make that decision like do I want to live or die right here that's a right. huge, it's a very huge decision. And I think a lot well, of- Well, and it's always you, right? Like yeah. the decision is always me and my partner are going home. Mm-hmm. Like the decision is always the good guys go home. Um, but the reality is for the good guys to go home, I may have to make somebody else not go home. Yeah. Right? And unfortunately, today's day and age, that also means um, not only the emotional turmoil, right? Like the in the moment, the ongoing, but it also means- um, lawyers and lawsuits and getting your own name dragged through the mud for a very long time. It means getting your motives questioned. It means having your race and the, the bad guys race pulled into it as a question, right? It means, um, somebody's mom who has been hyped up on, 
you know, crack their whole life getting on TV and be like, he was a good boy. And you're like, eh, he was selling a lot of drugs and yeah. trying to kill people. But okay, definitely a good boy. Yeah. You know, like it, it can mean a lot of things. Um, and, and in that moment, you literally are making decisions that will affect the rest of your life, mm-hmm. no matter what it looks like. So, um, yeah, nobody wants to be in that situation. I have blessedly never been in that situation. Um, I have, I have never, um, had to, you know, I have drawn my gun because when you're affecting a very dangerous arrest, you do go in with your weapons ready in case you need them. Um, but I have never, um, had a gun turned on me in a real life scenario, only a lot of practice ones. Um, and I've never been in the position to have to make that decision. And so I'm, you know, extremely grateful that, that I've not. Um, one of my dear friends was a state is a state trooper, and his first month on the job, we get the text message, "Don't worry, I'm okay." Which oh, no. every military wife recognizes that, right? Yeah, that is not the communication you ever want to receive. Um, and so he got into a pretty bad shootout and um, was uh, injured, and you know had to go through all those things. So yeah, definitely not a fun thing to to have to go through. No, and that's something that you know. People often try to divide our military and our law enforcement, but the thing is, is, and my husband's even said this to me before, he's like, you know, we're a lot safer because we're not making a daily decision most of the time to go out there and actually risk our lives, but the local law enforcement have to get ready every day. They don't know what situation they're going to be in every single day. He's like, I have full respect for them. Because, you know, you hear a lot of times, and of course, you know, yes, absolutely thank your military, but make sure you thank your local um, law enforcement as well, because they're making a daily decision to be like, okay, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to protect and serve these people, and I don't know who's the person I'm going to pull over next time. You know, I don't know what they might have or what they might do, and but they're willing to do that for us, and I feel like we need to stop dividing the military and law enforcement, because... Yeah, there is like a lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nobody wants that call. Nobody wants that call to hear like, you know, I'm okay or I'm not okay. And people are like, well, your husband's pretty safe on submarines. I'm like, yeah, but if they sink a submarine, it doesn't come back up. Like, Right, like there's not (laughs) like, there's, yeah, no, I hear you. (laughs) I'm like, can we stop saying like how dangerous different things are? It's all dangerous. (laughs) No, I, I, I don't, I don't love that. My, my husband is EOD, so he, um, works with bombs. So again, we mentioned that anxiety level, right? Mine is, mine hangs out at a pretty high level. Um, and, and he has this joke about, he's like, don't worry if I screw up, I'll never know. Oh my God. I'm like, that's not reassuring. That is not better. That is not better. (laughs) he would say it in front of, so I have three stepkids. He would say it in front of my kids yeah. while he was deployed and I had them on Skype. And then I would have these three babies bawling their eyes oh out. Daddy's going to die in an explosion. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. We had a, he and I had some stern conversations yeah, about that. I have to sometimes. <laughs> I'm just like, I try to keep like the, the whole military aspect very positive. Like, yeah, daddy went on his submarine because he's going to protect us from the bad guys. And they're like, yeah. is he safe? Yes, absolutely. Because I don't want to have that conversation until it's like necessary. They don't, they're, mine are like five, uh, seven and 14. I, I don't need like the fives and the 14 year old knows a little bit more, but. 
Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no, my babies were, oh, God, I don't even know how many years ago this was now. The oldest was 11, um, like 11, 9, 7. And here he's joking about, and I, I yeah, there was, yeah, like, there were almost, he almost was dead at my hands, like through <laughs> a bomb. We were going to talk. <laughs> I'm going to take you out, man. So uh, yeah. what made you decide to leave the FBI? Um, gosh, so the FBI is this big bureaucracy, just like the military, right? It's the government. Um, and that's how we've always done it is a pretty popular phrase. Um, and I am not really good at that's how we've always done it. I am really good at how about we try something new and different. And so I was, I was running into some challenges, um, with just, the machine. And I had the the advantage of joining the bureau very young. So I basically was in a position to say, okay, I've got a business degree. Um, I'm in my mid thirties. I've got nine years of being an agent. I've learned to speak Russian. Like I've had these amazing yeah. experiences. I can say and keep fighting the machine um, and understand that I've got a great job with, you know, tons of security and and feel better about that. But like, no, I have to fight this machine my whole life or I can see what I can do with this cool other business degree I got and yeah. and try that. Um, and so I was feeling like there was all this stability and then we went through furlough and they didn't pay us. They didn't promise to pay us. They wouldn't authorize us to get second jobs so that we could pay our mortgages. And because we were FBI agents and a necessary part of the government, we were required to come to work. So... They weren't promising us back pay. They couldn't tell us when it was going to end. They couldn't help us financially provide for our families. And it was not the first time we'd been furloughed in my nine years at the Bureau. And so I went, you know, um, this whole idea I had about stability yeah. is is not working out. And I, a lot of the agents whose um, spouses had a civilian job, they at least knew one paycheck was coming in. Mm-hmm. And we both were working for the government at the time. And so neither of us had a paycheck coming in. And so here I'm sitting going, we have no idea when this is going to end. And stability went out the window, you know. And so the one thing I was kind of like putting up with um, the the bureaucracy to to be able to, you know, say, well, it's okay. It's a stable job was gone. And so that's when I was like, you know what? I think it's time to try something new. I think it's time to step outside of my comfort zone and see what I can do with this nifty business degree I got myself. (laughs) And so, yeah. I have to be honest. Like when you filled out your form before, like we actually connected, I thought you were a lot older. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I got in experience. Nobody gets in that young. Like I was, I was in the right place at the right time with like the right life circumstances. Um, Most people have a career before they join the Bureau. And that's the other thing, right, is most people have a first career. Mm -hmm. And the FBI is kind of their like final career. And so they stay do their 20 years and retire. And it's this, you know, cool deal. Um, So a lot of them have been in the military, other law enforcement. We had lawyers who'd had a practice. I mean, we had a lot of people in my class who had a full first career. Yeah. It was actually my first career, not my second career. So I did it backwards. <laughs> well, good for you because you're obviously the the rare exception to <laughs> all of this. But I can understand because I, I have a hard time with if it's not working, why can't we change it? Like, this is so stupid. Like, oh, this is how we've always done it. Yes, but times are changing. So you need to change with the ch- times. 
Like, if you stay the same, you become stagnant. And yeah. it doesn't work. And that's just, you know, I think that all of us are made for different things. Um, and all of us have the ability to, um, you know, see the world slightly differently, which is why we, you know, which is important, right? We need a little bit of everything. Um, we have agents who were really great at their jobs. They worked on the same squad for their entire career. And they loved being on the same squad their entire career. And they were happy as could be. Um, and I looked at that and thought, oh, my God, I... I might hurt myself yeah. if I did that, right? But they loved it and it was perfect for them. So it's not an indictment of anybody. It's just that I knew that a piece of me was not going to last if I kept doing that. And I had to decide if I wanted to kind of lose that piece or feed it. And so I joined, um, I went from the government bureaucracy to a, a small business that was basically still in startup mode. Like I went extreme opposite um, because I felt like that was where I was going to get the opportunity to feed all those pieces of me that had been kind of like hanging out neglected for a while. Yeah. So what made you decide to join that business? Because that, like you said, that's like a, a <laughs> hell of a transition there. Like, Yeah. So, so I sat down um, with a couple girlfriends who knew me well, one who was a college classmate, one who is one, I call her my deployment sister, yeah. our husbands deployed together. Um, and so while they were deployed, she was my spouse. We made all major life decisions, the two of us, yeah. right? Because they were unavailable for comment. Um, and she, the, the three of us sat down and I basically said, okay, I need you guys to be brutally honest. What am I good at? What am I not good at? What should I be looking at? What are the parameters I should start searching within for a new job? Um, and so we talked about the fact that I really love constant change. I like when the environment is, you know, moving. Um, I like being adaptable. I like the opportunity to go do new things, you know, be exposed to new stuff. Um, I like having a voice you know, in an organization and being able to have an idea that may get executed. Um, I like innovative out of the box thinking, like all those things um, were kind of what we were targeting. And so when I developed that, I said, okay, target wise, I need to be looking for a company that's more in startup mode, less in established mode, because that's where you get to contribute ideas Mm -hmm. to, to create growth. Um, and I wanted to be in consulting cause I like a new problem on a regular basis. So I was like, if I can be in a consulting firm where, you know, your client changes frequently so that you can kind of change the worldview and, and solve a new problem. Um, and then at the time I really wanted to be on the road. Um, I was kind of ready to do some traveling and see the world and kind of experience different things. So all of that, because my husband and I both travel a lot and we've learned that, um, it, it works extremely well for the two of us, but if I'm the one who's always home, I start to get a little bit like, well, that's no fun. Um, so as long as I have a trip on a regular basis, then I knew I'd be okay. So those were the parameters we created, and then I started looking within those parameters. Now, the transition itself was not – it sounds super easy when I say it that way. Like yeah. it sounds like I just sat down and picked a thing and then did a thing, and um, I had no idea how to articulate what I was good at. I applied to like every company under the sun online and that doesn't work. Um, I've learned since then that doesn't work. Um, I didn't know how to write my resume. I didn't know how to tell people the value I brought 
to an organization, um, which is what our veterans are struggling with too, right? It's the same struggle. Um, and so it was actually really discouraging and lonely and scary and hard and all of those things. Um, even once I knew kind of what direction I wanted to go. Um, but what happened with McChrystal group was I knew somebody who, um, one of my friends knew someone who worked there and was like, this is a cool kind of place to work. Maybe you should talk to them. It fits your parameters. So I, you know, checked them out, made some calls, got some interviews, um, did a day of interviews. It was like all day, painful, forgot to eat lunch, crazy interviews. Um, Met General McChrystal, was completely blown away, um, and then, you know, had the privilege of working with them for a couple years. So um, that was my, the place I was most interested in. I also had an offer from Amazon, so I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about going that direction, Um, but it would have been, it just, it was bigger than I wanted, right? Mm -hmm. And it would have been basically facility security control. So like running the security division for, which made sense with the law enforcement background, but I was kind of ready to move into the business sector. So it made a ton of sense. Yeah, that, that is amazing. I love this. I love the whole transition. (laughs) I love how, um, you know, and passionate you are about serving military veterans and how you said there is that similarity between law enforcement, you're transitioning out of law law enforcement, they're transitioning out of the military, you have all these skills, but they're not quite the skills that always transition very well into... Well, the skills do. It's just nobody knows how to tell people. Like, nobody knows what they do that makes... So I was thinking about this the other day. When I ran a task force, like I said at the beginning, right? When I ran a task force, I provided the resources, I did the admin, the back the back end, right? The budgeting, the procurement. I did all of those things. And then I just went out and found the best talent humanly possible and empowered them with a mission and all the tools they needed. So that's actually what a good CEO does, yeah. right? Like that's what a good, um, you know, great team leader, manager of a large division would do. But I had no idea that that's what I was doing. I had no idea because I was running a task force. And in my mind, I was running a task force. I never broke it down and recognized that, you know, writing a proposal to FBI headquarters just to even say, hey, we want to establish a task force is writing a business plan. Like, I never thought that through, right? Um, Because I didn't know that that was what I was doing. I was just sending a proposal up to headquarters. So you do all these things on your day-to-day basis and until you actually live in the civilian world for a minute, you don't actually know like what civilians call that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known I was writing a business plan. I just knew I was writing a task force rack, right? So the problem is for our vets too, the, the skills actually can translate directly. However, we don't call it what the business world calls it. Oh, okay. And it's always wrapped up in like the bigger mission so you never sit there and break down like what you're doing and understand how it applies to what the rest of the world is looking for and so I say it's basically like learning a different language so learning to speak civilian is like learning to speak Russian it's just (laughs) as complicated and hard but once you get immersed in it, it makes total sense. And so that's actually what we do with our veterans. We have a coaching program um, and it's a career coaching program. And in it, 
one of the things we teach is to get on as many mentorship phone calls as possible, not because you're trying to ask all those people to give you a job, Mm -hmm. but because you're actually trying to learn the lingo. So like you want to be in a language learning environment. And the way to do that is to talk to people who speak the language. So I'm like, get on the phone, talk to everyone you can and talk their language. And when they say words you don't understand, either ask them to define it if you're brave enough or write it down and Google the heck out of it when you get off the phone, right? And then the next time you're in a conversation, try to use the word and see what happens. And eventually you're using the words and you're sounding like them. And that's when they start to want to, like, that's when civilians start to think, I need to get this guy a job, right? Because they then, or girl, right? um, (laughs) I use the generic, I know, it's bad. Um, but, But then, because then they start to envision you in a corporate environment. When we call and we show up straight out of service, right? And you're like, yeah, I ran a task force. They, they can't, they have no idea where to put you in their organization. Mm-hmm. They have no idea what to do with you. Um, but right now in America today, there's this big thing around cross-functional teams. I ran a cross-functional team. Everything from proposal phase, budgeting, talent acquisition and executing on our, you know, goals. Yeah. Oh, wait, now I get it. Now I know what to do with you. And I'm going to link up all of your links that you sent me and everything in the show notes. So if anybody knows anybody that could use your talent in this aspect, because we heard your story, which is my whole goal with the interviews is to hear your story. But I wanted to to add that little piece into about the veterans, because I know that we have a strong military following. Actually, I want to say at least 50% of the community, the Inspired Women community, is military spouses or prior military themselves. So awesome. it's fantastic. So if anybody has yeah. the Inspired Women community, Jean's in there. And uh, she'll be, I'm going to be talking to her about coming on and chatting with you guys about all of this as well. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be all linked up. But we are running out of time. So I want to find, you know, wrap it up with our final questions. I can talk to you like all day. This is I know. (laughs) Um, So what is one way that you make time for self-care? So can I tell a small story that's kind of embarrassing? absolutely. So I was in London two years two years ago, and I got into a cab, and the thigh of my jeans split open. The inner thigh oh, ripped no. open. And I wanted to cry. <laughs> and I was in London and only had two pair of pants with me and was mortified. Um, On that day, I decided that um, all of the eating on travel and all of the not working out on travel was over because never again was I going to be mortified when my clothes that fit me a year ago split in a cab in London. So I put that pair of jeans on my shelf and made myself get out of bed and start working out and made myself look at them every day. And every day that I didn't get out of bed, I made myself tear t- look at the tear in those jeans and go, this is a horrible thing. We're not doing this ever again. Um, and so like, I made the decision then um, that that I was going to take care of myself and I was going to prioritize my health. And so 
that has been in cleaning up my eating that has been in regular massage because your muscles get sore and they need it. Um, that has been when I get tired and feel myself getting drained, um, telling everyone, I'm sorry, but I'm going to take a beat. I, I need, I need the space. Um, and I've gotten really, really, um, I don't know. I've got, I, I don't know if it's smart or insistent about that time. Yeah. Because I have recognized that I'm useless when I'm drained and when I'm not at the gym. And the fun piece I've learned is, so I CrossFit. And so I lift like big heavy barbells and do stupid crazy things. Yeah. And it makes me feel like a superhero, which makes me better at my business. So not only am I getting fit, I actually have seen it help me with my business. And so my decisions about like when I have days where I'm not, not necessarily feeling like going in, um, it's kind of like, well, what meetings do I have in the next 24 hours that I need to be on for? And if I don't go in, am I going to have the confidence I need for that meeting? Maybe not. I got to go to the gym. So like I find a lot of external things that I don't inherently love to work out. Um, but I also don't inherently love for my jeans to split when I'm in London. Whole so priorities, right? <laughs> I, uh, I tell my clients because people ask me like, well, what kind of coach are you? And I'm like, well, I guess if there's a definition, I technically am the definition of a life coach. I help women with their entire lives. Like I look at your life and say, what's going on here? What do we need to do about this? And I look at it and self-care is often a struggle. But a lot of my clients say after working with you, Megan, my business is doing a lot better. And I was like, because if you take care of yourself and your life, your business yep. is going to do a lot better. That's yes. it. Um, so I know yep. it's a buzzword, but what does authenticity mean to you? Oh, so I have been thinking about like, what's the way to answer this without being like, means being real. Because I mean, right? Um, and, and listening to um, the video that you did um, this weekend, I actually came up with this kind of concept around behavioral integrity. So we talk about integrity, right? Mm -hmm. Being who you are when no one's looking, right? Um, and I think it's actually kind of um, being the same at the core when no one's looking as you are when they are. And maybe like looking isn't the word, but judging, right? Mm -hmm. So when no one's judging you, who are you? And are you that same person when you know eyes are on? And that doesn't necessarily mean you behave exactly the same. Um, you you certainly alter your um, method of communication depending on your audience, things like that. But I think it's being the same person whether you're being judged by others or not. I really like that. I like how you put that because it is so true. Because like, who are you? when nobody else is around is that the same as who you are when you show up and my husband will tell you I am a care bear stuck in a human's body it doesn't matter whether I'm around people or not I love it I love it <laughs> that's just a fact of life and he's like Megan uh we had a photo shoot done and our photographer said you know name three things that you like about each other it was pictures of he's very introverted so he doesn't like pictures and so she's trying to get him loosen up and he's like I really love how positive Megan is all the time and I was that's like, awesome. That's so sweet. So uh, what is one struggle you have as a modern woman? So I struggle with this question of are we or aren't we? Like the, the, the gender discrimination, the gender stuff, right? Like it's there. We know it's there. 
how do we address it effectively? Because at some point we go from bringing attention to allowing it to make us be victims or not, not taking our own, you know, control of it. I don't know. Right. Like I struggle with that because, um, I didn't believe that there was gender discrimination when I entered the FBI. Adorable, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was so cute and young and naive. And it's there. And I've never quite figured out what's the best way we as women can help ourselves um, without letting it have more control than it should. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I struggle with is is where's where are those lines? And I don't think I walk them right all the time. Sometimes I think I let guys get away with things that you're like, dude, you should not be saying that doing that. Sometimes I think that I overreact. Sometimes I'll bite my husband's head about off about something he says like inadvertently. And he's like, whoa, 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 like calm down. I'm all about women's rights. So we, I struggle. I don't know. I don't know how that's supposed to look. Yeah. How can we be a woman, but still be respected at the same time? And it's really hard because you're like, I want you to treat me like an equal but I also want you to treat me like a woman. And I- <laughs> yeah, it's and, and even like the other day I read something about let's stop calling. Let's stop. Stop remarking on strong women in books and, and movies. Right. Um, as if that's some kind of weird exception. We want to we want to be- believe and have others believe that strong women is a normal thing. Yet we we comment on it in books, movies, etc. And I was like, that's true. And then I was buying a book this weekend. And it was the first weekend I read a real like actual book in yeah. so long. It was amazing. And the lady at the register was like, Oh, I love this one. It's got some really strong female characters. And I wanted to be like, No, no. <laughs> but then like, also, I really like books with strong female characters. So it's this constant inner turmoil of how do we properly um, ensure that we are caring for ourselves and other women and that we're encouraging and helping each other be lifted up um, without playing into this uh, a narrative that maybe we – I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I yeah, agree. that's I think it. I- I think a lot of it boils down to is us surrounding ourselves with other women. That's why we have the Inspired Women podcast and the Inspired Women community and soon to be the Inspired Women retreat and Inspired Women everything everywhere because I feel like there is a certain strength and empowerment when women come together like that because we can talk, we can have this dialogue. Guys just can't understand what it's like to be a woman because they're not a woman. Right, which is... Which is legit. I mean, yeah. God bless them. It's not their fault. No, exactly. So what is one tip that you have for creating positive relationships? So not just listen, but ask questions and then listen. Try to hear what's going on in people's lives and and recognize what's there. Um, and along with that, give without expecting anything in return. So, you know, it's your friendship is not and relationships, right, aren't 50-50, they're 100-100. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes people don't have capacity to, to give. And so sometimes you have to pour into other people um, as long as as that's not, right, always the norm. So yeah. I think that it's it's about, like, learning about others, giving them a space to be um, – completely safe and and talk about what's going on with them and and caring about that 
um, and not sitting around waiting for like quid pro quo. Yes, I love that. I mean, but again, you know, protecting yourself because you can't just always give, 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 give. So that self-care aspect. So I, I'm with you. Yeah. There's there's a hundred. Uh, I've always said I love that. Like it's relationships aren't 50-50. I've always said they're a hundred, a hundred. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes my husband does not have the capacity when he comes home to pour into me, but he needs me to pour into him. And sometimes it's vice versa. But I'm not like ticking it off, you know, in some journal somewhere right. like he did this for me. So now I have to do this for him. No, it's just like this constant, you know, give and take and being more interested in what's going on with them than we are trying to be interesting and looking, look at me, I'm so special. Right. Right. So what, finally, our last question, what is one motto that you live by? So one of my bosses, when I worked at my college, brought this back from the Disney Institute for Customer Service. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm ready. So we all know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. However, there is a platinum rule. Ooh. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So it's not about, right? Rocks I your like world. that, yeah. So it's not about like what do I want? Because listen, I may want you to show up at my house with cookies, but you may be on a diet trying really hard to not eat cookies. So if I show up to your house with cookies, I haven't done unto you as you would have done unto you. All I've done is what makes me feel better and it's actually going to make your life harder. However, if I know you and I say, you know what, Megan's on a diet. What if, let's, what is Megan like? Megan likes books. So instead I show over with like five of your favorite book genre and be like, here, I know you're having a rough day. Here are five books you might love. That is actually going to help you feel better. So it's not about me making myself feel better by giving you what I think you want. It's about actually making you feel better by getting you what you need. Mic drop. (laughs) That's amazing. Jean, I have enjoyed this time with you so, so much. I really have. Thank you for applying and coming on here. Like, I've enjoyed connecting with you, and I look forward to connecting you with more in the community. All right. Well, thank you, Jean, and we will talk to you again very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Inspired Women podcast. If you're a woman in search of a positive, supportive community, we'd love to have you join us. Just search the Inspired Women community on Facebook and click the join button. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and share this out with your friends. We'll see you next week.